Hey, Justin Baldoni here, and I just wanted to say thank you because my new book, Boys Will Be Human, debuted at number three on the New York Times bestseller list. I never in a million years thought it would be possible. There's not even a section in the bookstore for young boys, and it's thanks to you and this community that it happened. If you haven't picked up the book yet, it's available now anywhere you get your books. It's also on Audible. It's called Boys Will Be Human. It's a get real gut check to becoming the strongest, kindest, bravest person you can be. If you know a parent of a 11 to 100 year old boy, or if you are one yourself, I promise you this book is for you. Boys Will Be Human, available everywhere that books are sold. Coming up on Man Enough. The first and biggest lie of the darkness, it will tell you that you are alone. It will tell you that you are uniquely broken, that there is no one and nothing that will pull you out of this. You know, mental health does not discriminate per sex, per skin color, per faith, per society. Mental health comes for all of us. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hello and welcome to Man Enough. Hi, Liz Plank. Hi, Jamie Heath. Hi, Justin Maldoni. Hey, Liz. Hi, Jamie Heath. How are you? Where is Justin here? Justin's not here. Justin um, didn't show up to work. We we did. We're we did. here. You did. Did you um, in traffic? You did the whole thing. I did the whole thing. I took an Uber. I took a shower. Uh-huh, I um, almost put on a bra. Um, <laughs> oh, you know. Yeah. So went all the way. I did too. I was up really early. I was up <laughs> at like four in the morning. Um, me and Justin were talking at four in the morning, um, just because our brains were working and thinking, and uh, we couldn't sleep. But I still got up, Jay, and came here. Where, Where are you? Do you not like? Do you not like our next guest? Is there? A, did you not want to be here? No. In fact, I wanted to feel closer to our next guest because he was raised very close to where I live oh. here in Ventura County, uh-huh. and uh, and I'm a huge fan of Mr. Zachary Levi and his new book and his life and his and his face and his comedic chops, but more importantly, his heart. I would look over your shoulder everywhere you go from now, and I'm going to be right behind you. I think that um, you are an amazing superhero, but I think that I would, um, and uh, not just a superhero, you're amazing at other things as well, but in terms of superhero, I think that I could play the role maybe just a little bit better. Ooh, that's know? great. We're going to go so deep into superheroes um, no, and I'm not so an many actor. other things. I'm not an actor. I know. But, you know. And I'm trying to audition for, like, the Aquaman version in Shazam. That's okay, what I'm great. doing right now. <laughs> well, I just, I, I'm trying to... You're Jamie halfway there. I now. mean, yeah. Um, so, can you can you come up with a role for a guy yeah. that looks like me and, and like a like a villain maybe? Yeah. I'll talk. I'll talk to my bosses at Warner Brothers. I'm sure that they're looking for just that, like kind of like a dirty hippie superhero. <laughs> like yeah, like like a Julie man. Like that's what they're looking for. That's right. That's I love what it. it is. I think that's what it is. Yeah. All, All right. right. It kind of lives lives out in Ojai. Not really the not really the country. Oh man. Dangerous no. kind of. Amazing. Granola Boy. That's granola Boy. There he is. Ooh, I love that. That's granola perfect. Boy is amazing. <laughs> Listen, uh, we are really happy to have you here. And um, this is a podcast that we do, and we talk about topics like masculinity and maybe how we can, you know, uh, um, be better at it, define mm-hmm. it, undefine it, all of that nature. So we're really grateful yeah. to you to come on and have that conversation with us. Liz, why don't you tell I'm the so audience? I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, we're so excited to have you. Zachary uh, Levi, it, you've seen him in Chuck. You've seen him in Shazam. You're a director. You're an actor. You're a singer. Um, and and so many more uh, things. And and we're really, really happy that you're here with us. You're really good on podcasts too, by the way. You're like a really good podcast oh. guest. Yeah, I've heard you on Thank several you. podcasts. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, and um, it's, it's really a joy to have you with us today. Thank you. Well, I'm very excited to be here. I, I love what you guys are putting out into the world. Justin and I were just talking about how we like know each other, but we don't know each other. So mm. I'm very happy that we get to have yet another moment of getting to know each other on a deeper level and talking about things that are important. So thanks for having me. Mm, wonderful. One of the things I love about you, Zach, and I, I know we were talking about this a little bit before, is you're not afraid to say the word God. 
No. Wow. And it's interesting that there there are some spaces, especially in Hollywood, where, where God can become a, a bad word. And I really appreciate that you lead with your faith and you lead with your vulnerability and uh, you're using your celebrity and your movie star status and your power and your privilege to really help and to be of service. Mm. And uh, that's not an easy thing to do as you get more and more fame and more and more success and become more and more well-known. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities to go the opposite direction and to play it safe. And I just appreciate that you, uh, you continue to be you and you go, you go deep into it. And, uh, and I, and I applaud you for that. So with that, the first question we always ask our guests, uh, is when was the last time that you didn't feel enough? Uh, well, first, thank you. I appreciate all those very lovely words. That means the world to me. Um, and, uh, when was the last time I didn't feel enough? Um, I don't know this morning, <laughs> like I, uh, not, not like in a, in a huge or, or debilitating way, but, um, I think, you know, every day there's moments where the twisted little lies of my still very, uh, infant, you know, uh, learning self-talk. I, I, you know, just five years ago, four and a half years ago, did I go to this life-saving therapy that I went to and learned I didn't love myself and learned that my self-talk was horrible. So, you know, I'm only four and a half years old in this journey. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little infant. I'm a little toddler. And there are at least, I mean, I don't know, maybe, I don't know every day, but many days where I still have these moments where I start to shoulda, coulda, woulda myself. I start to have that stinking thinking. I start to think, um, I would, uh, be a better me if X, Y, or Z, if I had accomplished this by now, if I had done this or didn't do that, or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I, there's still so many things in my life that I feel are missing that I feel like are not enough. Therefore I, uh, you know, translation am not enough. If I could just have, if I could find love in my life, if I could, I would love to be married and have kids like you do, you know, like I, I look at your whole family unit and I'm like, man, I'd love to have something like Baldoni, but I don't. And it's very easy for me to say, well, you're not, maybe not even say it, but you feel this lack yeah. of mm. self, of self-worth of somehow I have not done this correctly, wow. but I try to, you know, capture those thoughts. You have got to take your thoughts captive because number one, they're not all yours. Uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is you are not the voice of your mind. You are the one who hears it. And I think it's very important that we recognize that all of these things that fly through our head are just that. They are things that fly through our head and mm. we got to allow them to keep flying. Or as Martin Luther once said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest on top of it, you know? Mm. Uh, and so I try to, I try to apply that, but I've only been doing that, you know, for four and a half years because prior I didn't realize just how detrimental some of these thoughts and this, and this mm. talk uh, was, but as I've also learned, your self-talk by and large comes from your parenting. You know, however your parents talk to you is how you talk to yourself until you mm -hmm. then, you know, figure that out, go to therapy, learn these pitfalls and try to do better. I am very envious of those unicorn people who had incredible parents that were <laughs> not kind and empathetic and patient and loving and, you know, still guided with a firmness and, and all of that. And these kids grow up to be adults that have really healthy Self-talk. Mm. I was not one of those adults. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Maybe you can share a little bit about what your parents were exactly, what a, you know, beyond what you're okay to share. But whatever that experience was, how did that affect you? What do you think that you had to work through because of your upbringing in that way? Yeah. No, no. no. Ha happy to share. Um, I mean, the book, uh, radical love. Yeah. Let's talk about, you write about yeah. it. Well, it, the, it goes into, to all this stuff and it, and it's, it's all very, you know, uh, very raw. I, I don't really pull any punches. I mean, there's lots of other things I suppose I could have shared, but I was trying to find, well, what's necessary to really tell this story. But, um, look, my mom, 
both my mom and my stepdad, my, my mom and dad divorced when I was young. Um, my dad wasn't really in my life most of my life. So kind of an absentee situation there. My mom and stepdad who came into my life when I was about 10, uh, they were one of the most dysfunctional, unhealthy, toxic relationships in the history of relationships. You mm. know, um, mm. they both they both came from uh, households of of abuse. They both were psychologically abused themselves and then became products of their environments. And they, they, I don't think they like most people don't they didn't realize just how much they were manifesting all of that trauma into, you know, bringing it along. Generational trauma this is this thing we're all trying to break is this cycle. And so my yeah. mom was this brilliant, dynamic, charming, talented, beautiful woman who could have been anything she ever set her mind to, but she never learned how to love herself. It was never taught to or modeled for her. And, uh, and she was really, really, really hurt, really, really broken and, 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 uh, and hurting inside and didn't know what to do, do with all of that. And my stepdad as well. He was, he came from a very traumatizing household and, um, you know, a lot of, it was, it was strange. Like I, I, perfectionism became a really gnarly thing in my life, but it was perfectionism. My stepdad came from a traumatic household where nothing was ever good enough. Like, you know, so the bar was so high, you could never ever possibly reach it. Whereas my mom, she also came from a bit of that, but really my mom was a borderline personality. So her trying to please her was less about, can you get high enough? And more about like, you're, it's like a moving target. You don't know what you're going to deal with at any given time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you come home from school and you might have news like, oh, I, I didn't do great on this test. And if she was in a good mood that day and was feeling herself and felt like life was worth living and whatever, then it was like, hey, you know, that's okay. And we'll do better or, you know, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, more often than not, she was not in that mood and bringing her any kind of news, uh, even sometimes news that wasn't even all that bad, but just stuff that was a, was su a surprise to her or, you know, was immediately met with so much vitriol, so much anger. So, you know, you didn't really know what to do. And that became a very unhealthy, if you can't feel safe at home, right. Mm that leads to a lot of issues in your life. Mm, and again, as a yes. child, you don't know that. You think you're just living a normal life. So with that, how did that affect you? Who are you? What, what did you have to get through or learn or or? And particularly like your, your expression of masculinity, right? Because I grew up in a very similar, uh, weirdly family dynamic that you're describing. And it affected how I showed up in my relationships with men for sure. Um, and my own understanding of myself. But I'm curious, like for you as a, as a man growing up in a world where you are expected to be perfect and you are, you know, the, it, the, those pressures exist in terms of that masculinity you're supposed to present. How did it affect your sort of performance of masculinity or how you expressed it? You know, first and foremost, I was trying to find love always. Mm. Um, I would, mm. I mean, first I was a kid and I found acting and that was my first way of finding love. I knew very early on that I could intentionally make someone laugh. And I knew even at four, I was emotionally intelligent enough. I think children are to know that a laughing, smiling person feels good. They're, they're a happy and person. Safe. Yeah. And once I put all that together, I was addicted. I could not stop. I would not shut up. I did not have an off switch. Zach, little Zachy did not have an off switch. Even now I, I, you know, still have moments where, but I'm, <laughs> I'm good. I'm a little more balanced than that, but holy, I mean, I would just go and go and go because that was mm. the only way I could really find a, a purpose and an identity. And uh, so that was my first kind of, I think, unhealthy slash also became an incredible gift in my life. Um, bit of how I worked through that trauma from my relationship with my parents. I would say that more, you know, le leading then into a romantic sense, um, my household was so unsafe and so not really full of love uh, and healthiness that I, since I was... 18 have wanted to get married. I've wanted to, and I, and again, I didn't know all of the reasons why until I completely fell apart and went to therapy. I was always under the impression that I just, I love, I love love. I love people. I love, 
I, I want to have a beautiful, wonderful woman in my life. I want to have kids. I want to have all these things. And I would get into a relationship and I would, within the first week, I would just give everything. I mean, my entire heart, my entire body, like I just wanted this girl to know that I would do anything for her. And my relationships would self-destruct in about four months because hmm. I, no one is really prepared to handle an entire other person's life, which is what I was doing. I didn't realize that, but I was I was like, love me, I'll love you and you love me back in this super intense way. And these girls would be like, yo, I don't, like I got a job and I've got my family and I've got life and I just wanted to date. And I don't know what dating was. I just right. I thought dating was, you just jump into each other and that's where yeah. you go and that's what love is. And that's what, yeah. you know, sacrifice and commitment are. And so that really plagued me for a really long time. In fact, um, I would no. say until I, you know, from like 18 to 28 even, uh, I just kept having relationship after relationship really just kind of blow up in my face and not knowing how to really do, you know, love properly because mm. I didn't love myself. Mm. I didn't realize that I was loving so intensely for selfish reasons because I needed someone to love me back. Right. Um, mm. So that was very detrimental. Yeah. And then after enough uh, relationships completely fell apart and I was so heartbroken over and over and over and over and over again, I then kind of gave up on trying to find that love. And I just started to go and fuck. I just started to go and, you know, cook up. I was in hookup Zach mode. I was like, well, fine. If, if that's not going to work for me, then I will just go have fun. I'm in my twenties and my thirties and I'm just, I'm just going to go have fun. I'm just going to go do that. And mm. little did I know that that was me doing more self-medicating, you know, self-medicating mm. through booze or drugs or sex or mm. whatever it was. I was trying to find that. And that was all, I think, an extension of um, ultimately, you know, not learning again, how to love myself and how to um, genuinely just be with myself. So Zach, what happened? So you, you, you go through this process in your twenties and thirties, you're becoming famous, you're doing Chuck, you're starting to do movies, becoming more well-known. And all the while you are maybe silently suffering, um, like a lot of men, because I don't know if you were able to share this with other men or share what you were experiencing. What ended up happening? What was that? What was that self-destruct moment where you just realized that this wasn't going to work anymore? And from that point on, what did you do? Because I'd love for men who maybe can see themselves on this path. Maybe there's a lot of men listening who haven't done that internal work, but are recognizing some familiar feelings that you're saying, what happened? And then what did you do with it? Well, fortunately, I had a really amazing community of people in Los Angeles, um, including a, an incredible group of brothers, um, a lot of which we, you know, we kind of met through church and stuff like that. I had a home church at my house for 10 years. And prior to that, we, a lot of us had met at different churches and all kind of came together and, um, it was a really, really special community. In fact, it still exists. We're just all a little disbanded now and live in different places. And most of them have uh, married and have kids. I remember hearing about your home church and this, yeah. and this, we're in yeah. this worship group that you did. I remember now that I remember. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, I talked to those guys all the time about it. We'd have the, the men, the, the home church started as a men's Bible study. So we were constantly, you know, opening up to each other and talking about what we were struggling with. And, and that was, that was very helpful in some ways, but none of that really substitutes therapy. None mm -hmm. of that really substitutes having a professional therapist help you to unpack mm -hmm. who you are and why you're doing what you're doing and, right. you know, navigate mm -hmm. that. Um, the, this, the men's group was a, was a, was a, uh, a good, um, proxy at least to kind of keep me going i think and help me to still feel connected and and loved by my friends certainly um and i wish to god somebody anybody uh during any of that time would have grabbed me by the scruff of the neck who was you know older than me wiser than me had gone through some stuff and said hey guess what i love you so much i'm throwing you into therapy you're not going to understand why in fact you're going to do it kicking and screaming but you'll thank me on the other side but again, that was also, you know, 20, 15 years ago. I mean, it's a long, it, mental health is only now really starting to kind of become so destigmatized, thank God, that we can really have these types of conversations. But anyway, fast forward to, I, I was 37 
I was 37 by the time I finally had enough of a breakdown where I really had to go and figure out why I, I, I didn't want to live anymore because I didn't. Mm. And that, and that was all precipitated by a big move to Austin, me with my big dreams of building a new United Artists studio and, um, you know, uh, wanting to make the world a better place and make a better Hollywood. And, um, but also, you know, I was struggling my own career. I was, I wasn't getting to the places or levels that I had always dreamed I would or thought I would. And I felt like I was failing that constantly. I was in a relationship with a wonderful girl who wanted to be in a relationship with me. And yet I was now at the, at the place of self-sabotaging the other side of a relationship where I was now kind of distant and I don't know. So, you know, and she was from Austin. She probably would have moved here with me. And I was like, no, I don't think we should do this. So I broke up with my girl my career is not in a great place, or at least, you know, from my vantage point, uh, I move out to Austin. I'm all alone. My community's all back in LA. Uh, and I also, a lot of my self-medicating, I just quit cold Turkey. I stopped smoking after 20 years of smoking cigarettes, quit, wasn't drinking during that time. And I had a complete meltdown. I had a total, absolute darkest darkness uh lies wouldn't the lies would not stop just whispering all of that horrible shit into my ears and into my head and my heart you're worthless you fucked up you failed you failed your life you could have done it but you you just didn't do it i don't know how you're gonna pull yourself out of this zach you know it's, it's really not worth it and and i was sitting here in austin and i didn't want to live anymore and uh and i really was very close to fine. And that wasn't the first time I had been uh, clinically depressed. I, there was a few other moments throughout my life where I'd also struggled with that kind of depression, but this was definitely the most intense. And thank God, my friends and family, I finally was you know, opening up enough about where I was. Um, and my sister, my younger sister, who you met in Ojai, she scoured the internet and found this incredible organization who uh, does like multi-week treatment. And I went to Connecticut and I mm. had all of these incredible professionals that were um, for three weeks, you know, multiple appointments a day, trying to get all of these various modalities and tools and understandings of myself. But um, really what it came down to, I could have, you know, I could have learned all of those wonderful things, but it was this one woman who this place has the, these companions, these, these, these house moms, basically, who are there to make sure that the clients are can get up, get some food in them and get to their appointments. Because if you're there and you're clinically depressed, chances are you're not getting up, you're not taking care of yourself, you're not getting in a car, and you're not driving a therapist. So they're very smart to have these house moms, if you will. They rotate through. And this one woman whose name is Beth in the book. Uh, she was a very spiritual woman herself. Her husband was the pastor of the church that I had randomly chosen to go to while I was there. And this woman prayed me and loved me back to life. She was a conduit of God's love. She was a conduit of my mom's love. Um, oh, I get, I, I, get I, I well up just, just talking about it, but um, I never would have... I, I never would have pulled out of it because the truth is you can teach people all manner of book smarts, of all manner of, <clears throat> hey, this is you know, this is what self-talk is about, or this is how you can pull out of it, or, you know, this is why we get stuck in certain, you know, loops or whatever. That's all well and good. And we need to know that, but you will not apply it to yourself if you don't think you're worthy of applying it to yourself. Mm. And my biggest issue wasn't so much not applying those things. It was, I didn't think I was worthy of it at all. I didn't, I didn't love, I didn't, not only did I not love myself, I didn't even like myself and I didn't even know it. So, you know, the, that's that was the big falling apart moment for me. And that was, again, you know, Damn. coming up on five years, that'll be five years in October. Wow. Five years. Wow. Mm. A lot's happened in that time. Uh, bro, tell me about it. I mean, I, you know, it, it, wow. it, it really was, I, I think, an incredible testament to to God, to the universe, to to self-investment, mm. to self-love, to know that. I was still finishing up my programming there. Like literally I was on my last couple of days when my agency who I had told, Hey, I'm going off grid. I need to do some healing. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be gone for a while. So just know They're like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then in, in typical Hollywood fashion, before I came back, I get this email. Hey, sorry, not to bug. Um, but, uh, there's this other, there's this audition for a supporting role in Shazam. Oh, mind you, I had turned the, the the audition for the main role of Shazam. I turned that down two months prior because 
I was in a bad spot in my mm-hmm. life and also legitimately did not think I had any chance of getting that job. Mm-hmm. Shazam and Black Adam, uh, Black Adam, uh, who played by The Rock, by the way, they're supposed to be doppelgangers. They're supposed to be like twins. And I was like, <laughs> there's no way mm-hmm. I'm getting cast to play The Rock's twin. So I'll pass a Rooney on that one. Um, and then all of a sudden it circles back two months later and they're like, hey, it's a supporting role. I don't know if you want to put yourself on tape, but you know, no pressure, blah, blah, blah. And I had just had this breakthrough. I had just, this woman had prayed, oh my gosh, like intense prayer sessions, intense, you know, therapy sessions. And I started to see the light and, and I, and I prayed about it and I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm, why not? I, I, I'm not going to let this define me. I'll put myself on tape for this. I came home from the gym there in Connecticut. I go to my room. I prop my phone up. I do one take. I'm like, that's good enough. I send it in. And then, you know, lots of other details later. But one week later, I ended up not getting cast as that role, but getting cast as Shazam, which is the biggest job I've ever gotten in my life. (laughs) Totally changed the trajectory of my career, a career that I thought was completely in the dumpster. I never, ever thought, you know, after getting some shots at almost being a like, you know, I was I played a supporting superhero in the Thor movies, but none of that ever really came to fruition. I never really had a chance at playing my own, you know, superhero franchise. And I was 37 at the time. I was like, there's no way, you know, all that's passed me by, no doubt. Yeah. Mm. And so anyway, I bring all that up to say, yes, the, the the last five years has been insanity. And but a lot of that, almost all of it comes down to doing the work. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we want is. we want things to to manifest in our lives. We want blessings to come to us. And I think that they're they're there. Yeah. But blessings come with responsibility. And I think God loves us so much that he's not going to saddle uh, us with these responsibilities if we can't handle yeah. that shit. And yeah. I definitely couldn't. I don't like to be able to take on the responsibilities and the pressures of what that franchise would have been. If I was still hating on myself right. as actively as I was hating on myself, of course, it was never going to happen. Yeah. And well, yet and- it didn't take a whole year of me doing that work. It took three weeks. It took three weeks for me to make the the solid conscious effort. Of, I'm going to love myself and I'm going to do better in my life about these things. And as soon as I made that attitudinal energetic shift, bah, door opened and my career totally changed and everything that's happened from that. And as much as I'd like to say, and I was totally healed and everything was back to a, you know an incredible place. Fuck Amazing. no. I thought I was really good. And then the pandemic <laughs> happened. Yeah. And then I was back not working again. And yeah. it wasn't even my fault that I wasn't working. And yet I still couldn't sit with myself. I still couldn't regularly invest in myself. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Let me jump in real quick. Um, yeah, please. I'll talk forever. So please. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know what? Um, I, I'm actually going to shift my thinking for a minute. We're doing a show called Man Enough, which we are trying to transform humanity. This is what we just did for the last eight minutes, five minutes while you were speaking. We're watching in real life, someone transforming or sharing their transformation. So I have a whole list of questions I had planned for asking you, fuck them. Because what you are doing is the very thing that why we are doing this podcast. What you are explaining, you have just given agency and permission for other men to reinvent themselves, to reflect. You are a white, beautiful man, successful. Most of the time people would think, oh, he's got his shit together. Justin's got his shit together. But that we know that's a facade, that's not truth. So what you are doing, the very thing, so sorry, Liz and mm-hmm. Justin and everyone here that we are not getting to all our questions. I think what we are doing is um, allowing to see a man acknowledge where they fucked up, how they could have been better, um, that they were vulnerable, that they had self-doubt, all of these things, that they had family issues, uh, that they, all this stuff to overcome. So maybe there's a couple of questions. There is one question I do want to ask you at the end of this, but mainly I want to say is that if that's all that comes out of it, is that we put an episode on where you expressed your human self, your vulnerability, and that's it without any other question, then that's fine with me. I think that's exactly what we needed to hear. Someone successful express and give permission to those listening who are suffering too, that um, it allows them to not feel alone. So thank you for that. I, my pleasure. I, I, all I want to do is help people feel seen and the heard scene. and less alone because 
that's the first and biggest lie of the darkness. Yeah. It will tell you that you are alone. It will that's tell right. you that Only you are uniquely you. broken, that there is no one and nothing that will pull you out of this. And every single person, and you know, mental health does not discriminate per sex, per per skin color, per for per faith, per society. Mental health comes for all of us all in of varying us. ways. But that's why all of us need healing. Some of us a little bit, some some of us a yeah, lot of bit. Different ways. But all but of let us me, so let me follow up with this question. Now that I've said that, um, I'm also super interested in how you now through your learning and, and are showing up in the many ways that you are, how are you showing up for women? How are you showing up in ways that help balance the world because we've got this bird flying you know, crooked because one wing is overdeveloped and one is underdeveloped, uh, uh, at least in terms of allowing the flight of it. Um, what do you think you do and what you can do to be more supportive or to champion or to get out of the way, whatever it is that you think, what do you do specifically in that regard? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I don't know that I've ever really, I don't know that I've ever really struggled with an over-masculinity. Uh, I, I, I was raised by nothing but women, really. I mean, the, my closest um, uh, em employees, people that I hire intentionally and, and work with are women, um, uh, m multiple of them. Uh, my relationships have definitely gotten better. You know, my romantic relationships, I feel much healthier and much stronger uh, because I myself love myself more and therefore I have a, a better ability to love those women in my life mm. in a, in a romantic way. Mm, um, nice. but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I know that there is definitely, um, you know, um, this, this issue of a talk, a, a toxic masculinity that definitely affects too many men, um, and therefore affects, the women in their lives. And uh, I want nothing more than for that to go away. I, I want toxic masculinity, toxic femininity, toxic everything. I want all of it to go away. I want all of us to be healed. Um, and so the truth is the thing I think I'm doing the most, and I, I, it's, not, it's not intentionally specifically for women, but it's for all of us is, is talking about these things. You know, in the book, um, it's not specifically about a man's journey. It's just about a human's journey. And the amount of feedback that I've gotten across the board from men who are telling me, wow, I relate to this story and it's helped me. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's probably even more women. Although that also might just have to do with the fact that my social media following skews a little more female. Like <laughs> Justin, uh, you've, you you've talked that. about that before. Zachary, let me, let me challenge you with one thing. Let me just yeah. uh, offer something. For challenge you. me, bring let it. Me, bring let me it, challenge something. Um, so yes, I love that. Ultimately we are one human race and we want the hum all of humanity to be better, but you are a white male. You have a privilege that others don't. So, um, it's easier for you to say, I think of all of humanity, but I think you ha we have to, as men, be intentional of how we are advancing um, um, this, the equality throughout the human race. Therefore, we have to be intentional. You had said in your hires, great, but also with our friends, also in the locker rooms, also in our workplace, um, in all respects, with our children. Um, what are they doing specifically to be mindful of how we are helping that? And then also when it comes to race relations, right? Because it's uh, your voice. I talked about a lot about this with Justin. Your voice carries a different amount of cachet than mine does when you talk about things. So there is a responsibility that comes with all of your work, all of the whole journey that you've gone to become this amazing man now in those regards too. And I'm sure you're doing it. I'm not suggesting that you're not, but the challenge is, is that every day when you wake up, you can think I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing and also add to that list, what have I done for race relations, as small as it may be? What have I done for the relations of women and how they can um, no longer have roadblocks in front of them? As long as that's a thought that we reflect upon every morning, we might do something a little bit different than we did yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. I guess I would, I would 
challenge back or 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 Please. or 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 add to that in that um i firmly believe that every problem that we have everyone our race relations our sex relations our societal issues country to country person to person tribe to tribe anything and everything our everyone uh, who murders or rapes or steals, everyone who goes to war, everyone who pollutes the earth, every single thing that we struggle with, every issue that we struggle with on this planet, if you follow that problem upstream to its source, it's an individual's broken heart or broken mind. If we want to change all of the other things, we've got to go to the source and we've got to help people heal. And I I think I'm doing my best mm. at helping race relations and helping relations be between men and women and furthering women's place in this world by continuing to push forward on helping men, women, and everyone to heal. I, I, I it doesn't I mean that. that there's not things to go and do in the immediate. You mm -hmm. know, if I'm seeing something right in front of me and it's like, yo, hey, maybe not talk to that person like that. If it's something that's racist or sexist or something like, of course, I mean, I'm, of course, I'll step up to that shit all day long because that to me, that's just being a human being and standing in the gap for someone in a moment. But I, I really do firmly believe and I, and I, and I don't mean it as a dodge. I no, really no. mean it when I say, I think the most effective way for us to get all of these other issues solved is to go and help people to really understand where they are hurting yeah. and you know hurt people hurt people i mean it it's the truest of the true if we want to if we want to really it, the problem is that if we want to go and just isolate the issue and you know for just for as, as an example young men dealing with toxic masculinity those who are dealing with it it's very easy for us to be like these guys, they don't get it. They don't understand. And a lot of people will bandwagon on that and dogpile on that. And it's very easy to start dehumanizing them in the process yeah. because they are doing wrong. And I think that that's, we all kind of struggle with this, with this, this issue, which is that we all, we take stock of our own lives. We feel pretty good. I mean, we're all, all four of us on, on this Zoom, on this interview right now, we're all doing reasonably well and we're all reasonably well-adjusted people. I don't know you guys that well, but I'm going to assume that we're all reasonably well-adjusted people. And reasonably well-adjusted people, it's very easy, I think, for us to see very un unwell-adjusted people yeah. and start to subtly or very overtly start judging those people. We don't mean to, we don't want to. We certainly aren't going around parading around as if we're holier or better than thou, but we live in a society which is constant comparison all the time and needing and wanting to be on the right side of whatever the equation or the conversation is. Because if you're not, oh God, they come for you and you're canceled or whatever that shit is. And I just think all of that stuff needs to go away. We need to lay down our swords entirely. We need to have more empathy. We need to have more grace. We need to radically accept people where they are, radically forgive them where they are, and radically love them where they are. And when we do those things, yeah, doesn't matter what the issue is, those things get resolved. Yeah. That, that's, and there's tangible steps really to those. I, that, that, I think we're saying the yeah. same thing. There's tangible sure. micro, yeah, yeah. The tangible steps, tangible steps to, to this macro to idea of what you're speaking of, right? And then daily yeah. we have to do those tangible steps. So we're agreeing. And, and um, thank you for yeah. all of that. I agree. Yeah. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Liz, what, after listening to some of the stuff that's been shared, mm -hmm. Um, you heard me say and applaud him for um, being vulnerable on camera on our podcast mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. his own transformation. What has come up for you? I love all. And thank you for sharing, you know, that, uh, you know, sort of I, I think we sometimes all need to kind of hit a rock bottom. And I know I did in my life, too. And again, struggled with very similar issues. Um, so so I know how hard it is to, to share that. And and you sharing that and being vulnerable is is incredibly valuable to so many people that are listening right now. Um, I guess I think I agree with you that we need radical love, radical empathy. And I guess what I'm reflecting on is like 
but whose responsibility has that been? And how unequal I think that responsibility has been. Like even in your own story, it seems like there's a lot of women who were, I mean, you had this circle of, of brothers and men and I'm not you know, discounting the men in your life that were also incredibly, you know, sort of responsible for for getting you where you were. But there were a lot of women, right? Like often it is a woman um, that is um, the partner, the wife, the mom, the sister that is kind of holding a lot of that emotional burden, uh, not burden, but I, I guess emotional responsibility to help men get the healing that they so deserve. And so I, I guess what I would love to for us to all reflect on, because I don't think we have time to like talk about it, is how men can take more of that responsibility. And and again, I, I think it's one thing to express emotion, and we've always been very encouraging here on the show, and not and and it's different. You know, it's not like that in society where where, where we are really encouraging men to take to, to to emotionally express. But I think emotional responsibility is also part of that. Um, and I would love to see more men not just being taught to express their emotions, but actually taught to hold space for other men's emotions so that that healing um, is, 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 first of all, more powerful, right? I, I think that men um, need the, that, that community. You know, we, we, we've talked a lot about this on the show of how I think some of those dangerous places uh, where men get radicalized and men, um, I think, get get harmed the most is these spaces that prey on their isolation, that prey on the fact that they don't have an amazing community of brothers or a church group or whatever it is. So, so I guess what I would love is um, more men to talk about that and, and more men to, to share how they're doing that in their lives. And again, it feels like you are, Zach. Zach. Like I'm not, you know, challenging in the way that I don't think that, you, that, that, that you're doing that. But I think we have to be intentional when there is an equality. Like you, yes, love everybody. But also, you know, if you give everybody the same thing. And, you know, Mark Cuban, I, I talk about this thing all the time. It's just a way for me to brag that I had a conversation with Mark Cuban in a green room at South By. Um, <laughs> and he, you know, he said to me, but it was so good because I, you know, we were talking about, you know, inequality in the workplace and how I, I felt as a, as a manager is really difficult um, as, a, as, a, as a white woman to just like be a good white woman in the workplace and not exacerbate inequality. And, um, and we weren't talking specifically about race, we were more talking about gender, but that's what I was uh, really sort of reflecting on and trying to be better at. And he said, you know, equality, he said, I used to think that equality was treating everybody the same, but actually equality is treating sometimes people differently. And so when we do, everyone deserves it and should be the same for everybody. We, we kind of invisibilize that it's not an equal playing field for everybody. And there's not equal responsibility about who's holding space for all of that healing. Um, and I think we would all be better off, right? If, if men had more support, but in order for men to have more support, Men gotta show up, like like it, it's coming from you know the call has to come from inside the house uh, on that. So that's what I am thinking about as I'm reflecting. I think that you know you, what you guys are trying to do is unpack big ideas, and I love being able to unpack big ideas. And look, I I I completely agree that men absolutely need, but between men and women, we have been the ones who have not felt safe expressing our emotions have not felt safe being open about those things because it hasn't been and not just because men have judged men about that women have judged men and love is not just so we're clear when i talk about radical love i'm not talking about liking somebody really like a, a lot yeah. to like something is to like something to love something isn't to like it a lot to love something to quote thomas aquinas who was quoting aristotle is to will the good of the other and that means willing the good of even those we don't like. To quote Jesus, to love those who love you isn't really love. You have to love your enemy and pray for your persecutor. We don't do this enough. We don't look across at the person who is the abuser, who is the person with the problems, bringing the problems, and see a human in them. We dehumanize them. We turn them into monsters in our own minds. And the more we do that, the more they're going to remain monsters. Agreed. And that's what I'm trying to break through. That's what I'm trying to get people to recognize is that there is another level to humanity. I really think that we can get there, but it's going to require all of us laying down 
those swords, starting with ourselves and recognizing that, hey, guess what? We don't have our shit together either. We have got to do work to forgive ourselves for all the stupid shit we do. And guess what? We can do that because we recognize that we're doing the best we can. And so is everyone else. And that's a hard thing to recognize, but everyone is doing the best they can with the tools they were provided throughout their life. Yes, some people are psychopaths and sociopaths and they're born with a weird tweak in their mind. But by and large, we're all just products of our environment. And if we can have that kind of grace with each other, it doesn't mean not holding people accountable. It doesn't mean not holding them responsible. You're still responsible for your actions. You got to pay for them. You got to do that. But it's this blame and shame of like, oh, where's the fault? Oh, the fault's on that guy. Well, no, actually, the fault's on that guy's parents. And then if you want to go into a step further, it's on their parents and their parents and their parents and, and the their community. parents all the way back to the beginning of where all that trauma started. Agreed. So mm. that's why I'm very passionate about, like, I think all of these issues, really, you boil them all down. And it's going back to trying to find the humanity in all of it and loving, holding mm. people accountable, loving, having boundaries, <laughs> loving. Mm. You can love people and not like them. You can love them and have all the boundaries in the world. Mm. But that's what's going to get us to a better place. I hope. I think. I mm. believe. I have faith. I agree with everything you just said. I do indeed. And yeah, I think, we, and then I think there's an, there's not even, there's just a yes. Like I, I imagine picking someone, imagine someone that was raised in uh, a jungle like Tarzan never had any sort of human experience. They come at 15 years old, then they don't know anything. They're just like this animal. And we know that they're gonna have to go through 10 years of schooling, let's say, to become a contributor to the world. Well, they go through the first grade, second grade, third grade, and we acknowledge, oh my God, you're learning, you're becoming better and better and better. And even though we want them to be in eighth grade and ninth and 10th grade, we can't say to them while they're in third grade, you fucker, you're not, you should be at eighth grade already. You should be a seventh grade. We wouldn't, we can't do that because then that just stifles them. So we would indeed yeah. acknowledge they are where they're at and uh, applaud them for the work they're doing while also reminding them that they are still to progress to fourth, fifth, sixth grade and so on. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think and, that's and one of the things to, Liz is also reminding us of and what we want to do is great where we're at and also to be mindful of how we continue to expand that net in practical ways. Yeah. 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 Um, um, so we, we are, dude, you have spent so much time with us and Justin, thank you for being so um, um, gracious since you're not here on set to let Liz and I um, <laughs> go back and forth more, but, uh, uh, um, but let's uh, Zach, I'll call you and ask you questions. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Zachary, what do you think it means to be man enough? To love, to love, to love yourself and to love others fully. That's what it means. I have a perfect. Thank you. For this that. quote on my arm here. I don't know if you can see it. It says, "Where there is love, nothing is too much trouble, and there is always time." And um, I appreciate that this is your message. Your book, Radical Love, is out now. I highly suggest uh, you read it. Zach is—he's um, a deeply thoughtful, introspective man, and you have modeled vulnerability today. And I appreciate you. Um, you staying in the room and uh, having this conversation and I'm excited for you. And I really hope that it touches all of the hearts and souls of all the people that need your message. And uh, thank you for being a conduit of that love. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. And thank you, James. And thank you, Liz. It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Thank you Wonderful. for your time today. Thank Keep you looking so over your much. shoulder, by the way. I'll be, I'll, I'll be behind you. you. Look uh, over your shoulder, Zach. Granola boy, granola boy, Shazam three. Shazam versus granola boy. Patchouli man. <laughs> <laughs> patchouli man granola patchouli man i love it all right brother we'll talk uh, soon yeah thank you so much thank it's you so good to see you appreciate it i really i appreciate him uh I, it's not easy to i i don't know what it must be like to be that well known that famous to be to be carrying a franchise on your shoulders like he is and also to be that open and vulnerable. I know what, when I, I know for me, um, and I got to be careful to not like diminish, minimize myself because I can very easily do that. But I, uh, like the way he said earlier about what he sees when he looks at me and my family and my wife and how he wants that and feels less than I feel similarly sometimes about my career and his career and things like that. But I know how hard it was for me when I wrote Man Enough and you know, on this podcast on a daily basis. It's just draining to be 
vulnerable. And I just appreciated the spirit in which he was willing to share yeah. the things he's been through, even saying like he wants to find love and he he's sabotaged his relationships. Like these are things that are really important, I believe, for men to hear. And I appreciate that he's writing about it. I appreciate that he's willing to share it. I love that he didn't back down from your question, um, Jamie. Um, and as you know, I mean, like I'm a proponent of healing and I believe that we all need to heal. Um, and yet at the same time, I also completely empathize and understand from, uh, with where Liz was coming from, um, which is, we also have to be really mindful that the system that's hurting all of us affects each one of us differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's so much to think about. This is why I wish we had three hours with guests <laughs> and not 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Yeah, it's yeah. Tough. But, um, but I, but I, but I, I really appreciated the way he showed up. And, um, and with that, where, uh, where do they find us? Manenough.com slash podcast. I <laughs> and, got it right. Uh, you did. <laughs> and you can get us on um, uh, Apple and Spotify and on all the places you get your podcast. So, and, um, is, when, and where, and where, by the way, where can people find the podcast you're going to be doing? Oh, Ooh. are you doing a podcast? I'm doing an, I'm cheating on you with another, another podcast. podcast. <laughs> Um, I'm, I think our listeners should listen to you there too. That's very sweet. Thank you. Yes. Um, I am doing a podcast with Monica Padman, Lovely. Um, who does Armchair Expert with Dax, and it's going to be under their um, uh, umbrella, which is super exciting because they're, they're launching all kinds of cool shows. Um, and we will be freezing our eggs together. At the same time. Okay. That's why I had to go Tune to the doctor in yesterday. to this podcast about <laughs> you freezing your eggs. It's going to be hormonal. It's going to be, it's going to be oh, I love it. amazing. We're going to talk about everything relating to fertility, pregnancy, miscarriage, abortion, um, motherhood, uh, sperm. And men, if too. you're listening to this, this is not just a show for women no. that she's going to be doing. No. Men, you should also listen yes. to it. Yes. And Indeed. it's very, in fact, it's probably more important that you listen to it. Yes, you'll get a um, lot so out of it. So that you can show up better and support the women in your life. Thanks, uh, So go, Liz. We're so happy you're doing that. But don't worry, she's still going to be around. Also. <laughs> <laughs> she just... Of she's course. Just, all right. Um, it's an open relationship it's an between open... us and Liz. Well, all right, everyone. <laughs> You've been listening for the last however many minutes that you've been with us to the podcast, Man Enough. I'm Jamie Heath. I'm Liz Plank. And I'm Justin Baldoni. Not in the studio. Uh, <laughs> this is Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>